You can follow him on Twitter at Arsblog. And we're here to talk about the Euro Cup, Euro 2020. Um, Andrew, what have you thought about this tournament so far? We've had a lot of uh, ups and downs and all sorts of uh, hiccups on the way. But what have been your general reflections on the quality of this tournament? Uh, I have enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to, to be honest. Um, Going into it, I was a little bit worried because... Look, obviously it had been delayed because of everything that was going on with COVID uh, and the world. And I wasn't sure anyway about this kind of multi-country setup. Normally the tournament is held in one country and you play in various venues around that country. And while people are spread out, they're not quite as spread out as they are. If you've got some people in Azerbaijan, you got some people in London, you got some people in Denmark, et cetera, et cetera. So I was a little worried about it from that perspective. And I also wondered what it would be like for the players, because basically since the end of lockdown and the, the restart last June, they've been playing nonstop, whether they're playing domestic games or international games, you know, even when there were breaks for internationals, they were playing like three internationals when normally they would play two, you know? So I wondered if the, physical aspect of this tournament might have an impact on them and the quality of the football, but it really hasn't. I think it's been great. I think it's been really enjoyable. I think the quality of the football has been pretty high throughout. There've obviously been some duff games along the way, as you would expect, but for the most part, I think it's been great and full of stories and full of incident and great goals and some really interesting players to watch and um, you know, I'm I'm having a blast with it, really, to be honest. What about you? Yeah, it's been great as, as in general as a, as a spectacle. I mean, most of the most of the matches have had pretty high quality. We've seen some great goals since the since the off, you know, from the beginning of the tournament. Mm. Um, I had the similar concern. You know, we've been seeing it kind of worldwide with sports, with everything kind of being with that packed in schedule that you're referring to. Um, having the problem of of additional injuries happening. You know, over here in the states, the NBA playoffs, <clears throat> they they came back from the last season after only a couple weeks. And we've seen that many, many times before in, mm. in, in football when players come back from playing multiple summers at World Cups and Copa Americas and Euros. And there's been an enormous amount of injuries. And so we've been very fortunate mm. that the tournament has not been marred by more uh, as far as, you know, strain and, and wear and tear injuries to still deliver a really good product. And uh, in that sense, it's been it's been very pleasing. Um, I really think that what we've seen from most of these teams has been has been really impressive. And I thought that uh, tactically, we've seen some good attacking football. Um, we haven't mm. seen too many draws and boring matches. And uh, and, and just as over the overall quality of the product has been really good. There weren't weren't too many teams that you would really consider uh, you know too poor that were in there. You know, at least mm. I, I was happy for Scotland to at least get a goal. 
<laughs> seems like a long time ago. It really, it really does. It, it feels like it's been quite a while. Um, but it, but in general, the overall quality has been, been a lot of fun and yeah, I mean, the, having this tournament postponed was, was a real killer last year. You know, it's one of the things that you're looking forward to and, you know, the situation in the world, you know, deemed it, you know, impossible to be done. Uh, but you know, this, hopefully we won't see, we won't see a, with the world cup being only what, well, that's a whole nother story, right? The 18 month from yeah. now winter yeah. Qatar shit show that that's going to be. But it's it's turned into something really really viable and and really fun for us to watch. Um, as far as as far as the, the earlier earlier stages of the tournament, what did you think? Um, I mean, like as far as the travel goes, a few teams definitely had a bit of a a bit of an advantage being able to play mm. so many matches at home, and we've seen that also reflected in some of the results. Um, as far as you know, teams that had a lot of home games moving moving ahead more often than not. Uh, who do you think had the, I mean, other than England had the most to gain from that? I think so. I mean, look, if the tournament were being held in England, for example, England would be playing all their games in inverted commas at home anyway. It's the same with any host nation. So, you know, Denmark got some games at home and I can't quite remember where all the games were played, to be honest. Um, but look, I think it's just one of the quirks of this particular tournament that, because it's been spread out, you can either be lucky with the draw or unlucky with the draw. Like, I mean, it would have been interesting to see England go to Baku, for example. You know, right. Baku, um, you know, is a, is a long, long way away, as Arsenal fans will know. Um, you know, I think there's probably something to be learned from the way it's played out. And, you know, a team that has had to travel thousands of miles to play a team which has had to just go from their hotel down the road to the stadium, that, that can't be right. You know, it can't be right. Um, I think there's got to be some learning from that um, aspect of things. But I guess it's just par for the course when you have this multi-country tournament that, you know, there were games, for example, there were games um, that were supposed to be played here in Dublin, in Ireland. Right. England versus Germany was supposed to be played in Dublin. Uh, but because of... Um, the restrictions here and the fact that you cannot have as many people in a stadium as UEFA wanted, the games were taken away from here. So that game for England, it's not a huge distance or anything like that, but it wouldn't have been a home game. So in part, some of this has happened because of some countries being willing to, I'm not going to say disregard, but to, to put aside medical and scientific advice regarding COVID and just pack people into stadiums. Um, so how much of an advantage that's going to be down the line, we'll, we'll wait and see. And hopefully it's not a case that a lot of people get affected or, or get sick or anything like that. But I think it was a case that some of the games that England had, you know, would have been played elsewhere if it were normal, if the world were normal. But unfortunately, um, it's not. Yeah, and it's interesting to see how, I mean, some of those, I mean, it's, it could be pretty good for Dublin that they actually didn't ha host the match, right? I saw that there mm. was a spike in COVID cases in, in Scotland, right, from them hosting yeah. a match and whatnot. And so, and it's you know, in places where, you know, m most countries aren't as lucky as, I mean, I know you just got your vaccine, right? And we, for those mm. of us lucky here in the States, have had our vaccine for a few months. It's less of a risk for us, but you see places, mm. you know, where it's not, 
as as widespread and you're really putting a lot of people at risk you know i, I see they've just declared an you know an emergency due to covid in tokyo and yeah they're, and they're about to have have olympics there and now they're going to have no spectators uh, yeah so look it's um it's, it's interesting it is, to see the balance right like how are how are the the corporate sponsors balancing social responsibility with wanting to make the most from these events as they as yeah. they like I'm not even sure it's the sponsors. I mean, I'm sure they're part of it, but it is essentially the governing bodies, isn't it? They're right. the ones that call the shots and make the decisions. I think it was UEFA who took the games away from from Dublin. It was a case of where well, we we need to have whatever it is minimum forty percent in the stadium, otherwise that's it. And of course, the money side of things plays a part because the sponsors want people in the stadiums, and you want your brand to be associated with a with a packed stadium. And look, it's been amazing to see, you think about the game um, between England and Germany at Wembley, you think about the game uh, on Wednesday night between England and Denmark, where Wembley was absolutely packed. And what a huge difference it made to the spectacle for us on TV. Absolutely. You know, we've become so used to, for, for obvious and very good reasons, we've become so used to stadiums being empty and you know, the old tropes about how football is nothing without fans, et cetera, et cetera. They're true, but, you know, it made a big difference to the atmosphere. And I think it made a difference um, to how we perceive this tournament as well. I do wonder if everything had been played behind closed doors, would we be quite as enthused by it? Which isn't to say that the football hasn't been good. Of course it has, and there have been some brilliant games and some standout players and everything else. But when it's being played against a backdrop of silence... You don't get that same experience when you're watching on TV, you know. Yeah, completely. Um, so, look, it, it's just a, it's just where we are right now. We have to, we have to still contend with this. There's a, it feels like there's a sense that it's all over and you know the world goes back to normal. I'm not sure that's where we are. Unfortunately, I'd love that to be the case, but you know, um, in, in terms of this tournament, in terms of Euro 2020, it has definitely played a part in in making it an enjoyable spectacle because who doesn't love the sound of, uh, you know, a crowd going crazy when the ball goes in or, or, you know, even stuff like the national anthems, you know, it makes a difference. Yeah, I th definitely. There's those moments seeing, I think the first Italy match and then belting out the, but belting out the song, you know, everyone being in full voice, having that mm. real thing back. And for, and for many of us, this is a, um, the first taste of sport back as the way it's supposed to be, you know, even if the world is not completely returned <clears throat> mm. to what where we were before, but this is the, you know, the, this summer and the, the events around it are the, are the first time that we get to get that feeling where it's back to where it was. I mean, I, I, you, you were watching all the matches last season without the extra crowd noise pumped in, right? We didn't really have yeah. a choice over here. Every, every broadcast we got in the States was pumped with, with fake crowd noise and you look around oh. it really, it feels so cheap, you know, it, yeah. yeah, just taking the soul out of it, and it's it's a trick. Yeah, it is, and it's it's an unfair it's an unfair thing. I get how they they believe that it made it more sound more natural to us, I suppose, as a listener. But there's nothing like the real thing. No, absolutely, and there's nothing like the experience of being at a game. And I think maybe it speaks to the fact that some people are how do I say that? I mean, people are desperate for things to be normal, so. You know, having football on in the background and there's a bit of crowd noise and then there's a it sounds like a goal has been scored. How many times did that happen where 
you know, a shot goes in and they play the sound for the ball hitting the back of the net and it doesn't, so they fade it down really quickly and, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I get why it is. It's almost like a comfort blanket for people. Right. You know? it's, it's the sound they expect to hear when that happens. Yeah, or the, but, but any sound. They expect right. to hear some sound, not players sort of shouting at each other and, and managers issuing instructions from the sidelines you know, those are the things you can hear, not the crowd, not the crowd reacting to the game. And, and and the two things are very much in sync, aren't they? There's a rhythm to what happens on the pitch and the sound that you can hear. They're connected. And often with that, that fake crowd noise, they're reacting to things which have happened a second ago or two seconds ago. And it doesn't feel natural. It, you know, of course, it doesn't feel natural because it's not. But, you know, next season, it looks like all the stadiums in England are going to be full. Well, potentially full. I, I imagine some people will will have some reservations about going back and maybe they won't be 100% full, but certainly there's going to be fans back in stadiums from the start of next season. So our experience, if we're watching from afar, is going to be a bit more like it used to be. Yeah, indeed. So we'll, we'll get to the semifinals in a second, but just back, keeping on the, on the topic of the tournament as a whole, were there mm. any particular teams that were um, – disappointments for you that you expected to go further that really just kind of laid an egg here in this tournament? I suppose France in a way, um, I'd expected more from them. Yeah. I think for the French really are the ones that I thought were going to be the team that everyone needed to beat. you know, um, simply yeah. because of the quality that they have and they brought Benzema back and that worked well for them. And Bappe didn't really work as well as it should have. Yeah, I think I think that um, was he he was his performance was a shocker. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I have a feeling that really, you know, he should be he should be playing as a striker. Yeah. You know, he should be playing as the focal point of the attack because he's just got everything that a, a striker needs to terrify any opposition, you know? And and I'm not saying he's marginalized on the left, but sometimes it feels like you don't get as much out of him as you might if you were playing him uh, as a striker. But I think, for, yeah, France, and, and I know it was narrow when they went out on penalties and it was 5-4 and, you know, I'm not going to say it's a lottery. Penalties are not a lottery. They're, they're a test of skill and character and, and everything else. But overall, I think they're the ones. Beyond that, I wasn't really... I didn't really see anybody as hugely under par i'm trying to think was there anybody else i mean portugal or portugal they're a bit too reliant on ronaldo um i suppose the one thing you might say is that spain because of the quality of what they have in general in terms of their possession and the way they can dictate a game if they had a really great striker they'd be unstoppable basically wouldn't they so yeah. the fact that they don't um you could maybe put them in the category of disappointing but based on what they have i don't think i could i could make that case very well yeah and i think for spain coming into this tournament i think that was the general knock that most people had you know without everyone knows that Morata is so good at so many things but mm. finishing normal chances is not his strong point you know, it's he, sometimes he'll do all the hard work, but it comes down to that. And it's, I mean, you know, to mm. be fair to him, he's, you know, he scored a goal in the last match and he ended up getting a couple, but you know, th then also him, it, 
it kind of compounds for him missing the penalty in, in, yeah. in the last match. And I think that sums him up, though, doesn't it? Like, yeah, he it had does. a great chance not long before his goal, which it opened up on his right foot, and you're thinking, just hit it, and he took way too many touches, and then scores that goal, which is a really great goal, as was the goal he scored in the previous game. Mm-hmm. Was it the one in extra time against Croatia? Like, it was yeah, a brilliant, yeah, yeah. a brilliant finish. Like, I mean, he has got some talent. There's no question he's got talent, but the the inability to apply it consistently, not just in the course of a season, but over 90 minutes is is really something. Like, if you're if you're a fan of a team that he is playing for, it must be hugely frustrating, you know? Absolutely. Whether it's Spain or Juventus or Chelsea or Atletico or Real Madrid, you know, to know that it's basically in the lap of the gods as to what happens when he gets himself into good positions and when he gets chances, you know? Yeah. So, and it's, I remember, yeah, I mean, he, he's had the, he's had the spotlight on him for so long. And I remember seeing mm. him with the, with the youth international tournaments with Spain. And mm. you think with a lot of those guys, because for a lot of, for a lot of players, I mean, we've seen recently there, some players have that finishing instinct early, right? Holland, the Mbappes that are scoring goals freely at 18, yeah. 19 years old. But a lot of them don't come into their own as far as finishers for a couple more years. And everyone saw, you know, Marata gets into the right place every time. He knows where to be. He knows where this. And you, mm. you expect that him to kind of turn the corner and start putting it away. But he's still a 10 to 15 goal a season striker, not a, not a 20 to 30 when he, when he puts himself right. I mean, I'm sure he's – I haven't looked at it exactly. I'm sure someone else can tell me. But I'm sure he's, he fires below his XG. Considering, oh, I would say con- so, yeah. considering <laughs> how many places he puts himself. <laughs> I would say so, yeah. I mean, that's the big frustration about him. If he wasn't getting any chances, you'd be like, well, this guy's just rubbish. Right. But he's he's in positions and his mo- his movement is good and his he's a strong runner, but you know, he 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 would drive me mad if he was playing for a team that I cared about. He really would. Yes. So as far as other, for me, the only other people that I, or teams that I considered somewhat disappointing, I, I would say the Belgium team was a little disappointing. Uh, I just, I expected mm. a lot out of them, you know, I mean, you know, they had done well in the last world cup. It's not like they're not doing anything. And they, they ran into an Italian team that just seems to be having everything working for them. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like with the, with the talent at his disposal, I feel like Roberto Martinez has not really, you know, has got to, he's got to make a final, you know, I feel like that's kind of been a big, you know, and with obviously coming into the tournament, you know, you have a guy in Lukaku who is, you know, I think arguably a top three, number nine in the world, right? A guy scores about 30 goals in Serie A this season. They have the best number 10 in the world with De Bruyne. I mean, there was a lot of there's a lot of doubt over him coming in after getting his face smashed in by Rudiger in that Champions mm. League final. And yeah, that yeah, could yeah. have been great. But we saw immediately when they were in trouble in that in that next match uh, against Denmark, you know, he comes on, you know, the assists, the goals, all those things of with what he brings to them. That, you know, I, I feel, you know, if you have that talent at your disposal and, and your entire eleven is pretty much consisted of top players at top clubs i know for some reason vermalen was starting the last couple matches but <laughs> outside of that they're pretty much just top class players all over the pitch um yeah they're a good side but i think roberto martinez is very roberto martinez yes he is what he is and i think he's he's a, a coach who who has some limitations you know um you can admire the kind of football that he wants to play but is he capable of executing it you know, and, and with Belgium and this particular crop of players that he has at Belgium, 
I kind of feel like that is the best group of players he's ever going to have to work with in his career, you know? Um, I know James sort of tongue in cheek mentioned him as a potential Arsenal manager on the, on the Arscast extra this week, but like, I I would not like to see that. (laughs) Nor nor would I. I. I don't think he's a guy who will, I think his, how do you do it? I mean, his, his philosophy and his ideals are admirable. And I think when it clicks for a Roberto Martinez team, it looks really, really nice. But there's something missing. There's just something missing in the, I, I don't want to say the intangibles, but whether it's organization, whether it's tactics, whether it's game management, whether it's motivation of the players or, or something from all of those things, I don't quite know, but they, he always feels like a guy who's going to fall short, you know? Do you think he keeps uh, his job? Maybe so. I mean, I think there's kind of a dearth of international managers at this point, um, given that there is such a short period of time now between, between you yeah, know, this Euros months. and the next World Cup. You know, it's only, what, 14, 15 months, something like that. Yeah. Um, it would be, you know, I guess it depends on how invested the players are in him and how, you know, the the, the top level talent. Because I think, how old is De Bruyne now? 28, 29? Yeah. His last World Cup. Lukaku, not going to say it's his last World Cup, but he's what? Same, 27, 28? Yeah. It's going to be they, 32. Yeah, they, next, they might they might have one more cycle, you know, a few of those guys. Maybe. But, but many of but, the, in the back, many of those defenders are all mm. on the wrong side of 30, and they're not going to be there. And I, I, you don't see the young defenders coming through for Belgium specifically. No, 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 no. That's that's an issue. You know, certainly I think that was, that was part of the problem against Italy in that the goals that Italy scored were very good, but the Belgian defending considering the experience of the the players that they had back there was pitiful. Yeah. You know, and it's all well and good saying the experience is important and, and everything else, but you know, Alderweireld on the Insigne goal just backed off. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't do that for a player of that quality uh, and a player who you've seen be impactful at the Euros already from Allen fell into the kind of gamesmanship trap when the guy was pretending to be injured. Right. You know, I get that you're, I get that you could be annoyed by it, but you've got to play the ball, play the whistle, man. You know, it's yeah. what you're taught as a kid. And so maybe, maybe recycling the defense to something younger won't be quite as an impediment to Belgium as people think. Right. And I, I with you, I thought Portugal for one, you know, I actually considered this, you know, cause even though they won the last year, I, I felt like this, mm. this team is actually f- uh, filling up with a lot more young talent than they had had in, in the past. Um, I was very surprised by Bruno Fernandez's performances and whether or not that had to do with more with the team shape and people trying to funnel the ball to Ronaldo or whatnot. Mm. Uh, and I was also kind of surprised with uh, Joe Felix's lack of involvement, but you know, since then it's kind of come to light. He's having ankle surgery and he was, you know, carrying a knock for the whole second half of the season Right. Hence why I wasn't playing so much. But, you know, they had, you know, good attacking talent. They have the next guys coming through. I was surprised Andre Silva didn't play more. Um, but on- honestly, the fact that we don't have to talk about Ronaldo too much at the end of this tournament actually makes me a bit happier. 
That's good. Yeah, we can just move on. I think. Yeah, he can. Hopefully, this is the last one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we fingers crossed. Uh, You know, you know, he's going to be at the next World Cup, unfortunately. But he's going to be at like the twenty fifty World Cup. Anything for his personal records. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. I shudder to think when it's going to stop for him. But like, I mean, you know, as you get older, you have to admire the um, the longevity simply because it's it's just so difficult. Man, to I, do it at at his age, and there were moments in this tournament where he wound the clock back a bit. It was the the goal against was it against Italy, um, the counter attack goal. Um, I can't remember, but they scored like they headed it away from a corner. Ronaldo ran the length of the yeah. pitch. Could have been Belgium. I can't remember. All these games have kind of gone by in a fuzz at this point. He's, um, he's probably doing some sort of weird black magic, like you know, blood spinning with you know fetuses of. Children yeah, exactly. You know, is, I don't know. What, got you a, know, he'd sell his soul for whatever it is. He has got a basement full of orphans that he's using their blood to sort of, you know, Son give him all bitch. the juice that he needs. But you know, I, I say that as a joke, just in case. <laughs> yeah, we, we can clarify that. I don't think we're taking yeah, it yeah, exactly. seriously. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, he made his mark on the tournament. He, you know, he equaled the record for however many goals. You know, good, good for him, I guess. But yeah, I, I you know honestly, I mean, I remember when he was still at Real Madrid years ago. The, you know, talk, the reports coming out about his um, developing, having bad knee tendonitis and that it mm. was something that was really serious. And and as someone who has now dealt with knee tendonitis in, in my 30s and I'm being the same age as Cristiano, uh, I can't imagine like being able to play through that twice a week. I thought he would have slowed down significantly. And mm. whatever whatever deal he made with the devil has apparently worked. And Yeah, but dude, you're in much better shape than he <laughs> Yeah, that's that, that's that's a laugh. Um, but so let, let's get to the semifinals. So we in the right. first semifinal we had Italy and Spain. We spoke a little bit on on Spain before. I thought one thing that was really interesting coming into this tournament was uh, the dropping of David de Gea. Which I mean, he, not that he's been in great form for the club uh, for Manchester United in the past season or two, but uh, Unai Simone, Simone made has made a couple of you know pretty bad errors. You know, there were a few things. Mm. That really didn't didn't uh, cover him in glory, and specifically things that you know De Gea is particularly good at in terms of playing with his feet. Um, and it it really I feel like he cost them quite quite a bit. Yeah, it's weird because you, there's no way that um, you know based on what he'd done of late, you could really make a good case for for David De Gea. You know, he he was at one point an an amazing, a remarkable goalkeeper. But he really seems to have lost his way. Um, yeah, I think Simon has done okay, to be honest. There was that remarkable uh, own goal that he conceded against Croatia. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's just, that can happen. You know, that can happen to, to any goalkeeper. I think he did pretty okay in general throughout the tournament. I don't think he really was the difference between Spain's elimination and not, you know, I think as we spoke about earlier, Spain's problems were, were scoring goals, which sounds a little right. counterintuitive given that they scored five against Croatia. They scored five against, who did they score five against? Somebody uh, else. Yeah. in their in their last group match. Yeah. But, you know, having somebody who could be a genuine threat to the, to the Italian defense would have been, you know, I, I love Chiellini and I love Bonucci and, and these guys are, are fantastic defenders. But when you look at the goal Morata scored, 
it was movement. Yeah. It was precision passing, but it was movement. And Chiellini basically gets turned around and kind of just is watching going, uh-oh. You know, if, if Spain could have done that a little bit more, if they had something else in attack, I think they they might have they might have done Italy, but uh, I don't think the goalkeeper was really the issue. Even if I thought his, I, th- I think he got it wrong against um, Jorginho mm-hmm. for the final penalty. You know, I know that guy scores penalties, but if I were um, if I were a professional footballer, professional goalkeeper, having watched Jorginho take penalties for years, you know, I would have just gone the way he put it because that's pretty much where he always puts it. Yeah. You and, know? and and he yeah. waits, you know, he waits and uh, jumping early doesn't seem mm. to make too much sense. I definitely felt, you know, that, like you said, that Murata goal was something that was more of an exception to the rule than what, than as opposed to what they were doing. You know, it was incisive. Mm. It was cut and thrust. It was exactly what they would have been missing all tournament. If we had seen them do that more often, it would, it would have made more sense as far as, you know, considering, you know, taking them seriously as a real contender to win this tournament. I felt mm. like they... You know, rode their luck, right? You know, you you you're against ten men. You know, you you give up a you give up a two goal lead. You go to extra time. It takes you know it takes 120 minutes for you to get your five goals. Like great, you scored five goals, but like like how how much do you need to go your way to make that happen? And you know, running into the the buzzsaw that was uh, that was Italy, I just felt like it. You know, it was it was destined to end there. You know, mm. I, like they weren't going to ride their luck. It was just too you know getting by missing so many chances just getting through it you know that's that's as far as it was going to go when they ran into an italian team that's been you know in, inspirational they've been really uh like i like i was i wasn't quick to jump on the bandwagon in the in the group stage you know the 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 people that they faced along the way you know they weren't the toughest matches right so italy right so italy 3-0 over turkey you're like okay it's turkey they're one of the worst teams in the tournament Mm. You know, it's gonna it, it flatters to deceive a bit, and then the three 0 against Switzerland was a little more impressive because we know the Swiss are a more organized side. Not not that they're that great, but that was a more impressive result. Um, but um, as soon as I mean, honestly, as soon as they beat Belgium, when I saw them come out and punch Belgium in the in the face, you know, if it you know one, they give away a penalty at the end of the first half, but they were good value for that two 0 You know, absolutely mm. put it to them in the beginning of that match. Um, I was very impressed with what they've done. And, you know, with, uh, they, I feel like they've done a pretty good job of incorporating, you know, newer, younger players to the team, you know, outside of that, that, that vaunted defense that they have, um, have, have done a lot to inject pace and kind of move and, and really been the antithesis of what we've seen from Spain, you know, like, you know, they, we did see them get a little bit frustrated by Spanish possession, uh, in the early parts of the early stages of their match against Spain. But when they got the ball, there was an impetus and, a drive in them to quickly move the ball upfield and make, make something happen. Yeah. Look, Italy have been, they've been really impressive. Haven't they? They, you know, the, the kind of reinvention of Roberto Mancini has been one of the, the stories of the tournament so far. So, um, you know, I think like Spain, they kind of lack that killer striker, right? They lack that absolute high quality forward who, who would be absolutely devastating for a team which can uh, run and control possession and and uh, pull the opposition apart the way that they can, you know. Although it has to be said, Chiesa has been one of the the most yeah. enjoyable players of this tournament so far by by some distance. I think he's yeah, he's been great. He's yeah, he's been really enjoyable, you know. Um, 
And I mean, even to, I mean, so to your point, you're right. I don't agree that, that you know, that their, their, their central striker isn't as great, but to be fair, you know, Immobile scored what? 80, 90 goals in Serie A in the past three seasons. So it's, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, you know, I just, he's, I'm, he's never he confuses me. Yeah. I just don't, I don't, I can't get into him at all. I think there's something, there's something missing about his game. I understand why he's there and I understand why he's in the team and everything else, but I just think he's not quite that top level striker that you, you, if you could have, you would have, you know? Yeah. He, yeah he's in a, he's in a lower tier. He's not, he's, he's no Lewandowski. He's no Lukaku. He's not an no. Ape. He's not a, he's not a Benzema, you know? So we're, we're talking a little bit, a little bit lower, but, but you like, but to your point though, what we're getting from Italy is contributions from the midfield. You're getting stuff from the wide players, mm. right? And Signe is doing good things on one side. You have Chiesa, you know, creating magic and, and, being dynamic on his own. Um, I feel, you know, it, the weight, the weight of the, the goal scoring has not been entirely on Insignia's, or not Insignia, I'm sorry, no. but Immobile's shoulders. Sure. And that's, you know, definitely contributed for them. Um, uh, I, I really, have, I really enjoyed what I've seen from Verratti. You know, he just, the way, the way he makes things move in the midfield, it, he makes a lot of the really difficult turns and tight spaces look really easy. And that's always something I love to see from players. Um, but no, well, look, yeah, we've seen him do it, you know, week in, week out for, for PSG at the top level. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, in the Champions League, it's the top level. In right. Russia, the French League is, is the top level. But look, there's no question he is he, he's a quality player. I think the, the the one thing about Verratti coming back is that it robbed us a bit more of, of Locatelli, who right. I think is a, again, he's a really fun player to watch. I like, there's a kind of... Uh, youthful exuberance in the way that he plays, like the the goal that he scored, where he volleyed it out to the right wing and followed up and just mm-hmm. you know tapped it in, is one of the most uh, aesthetically pleasing goals I think I've seen in a in a really long time. You know, so I understand why Variety comes back in, but sometimes you just need to see players who are a bit of fun, particularly if you're not invested in any of the teams. Uh, in particular, which I'm not, of course, uh, as an Irish guy, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not that bothered one way or the other. So uh, I would like to see a bit more of Locatelli, but uh, maybe maybe we'll see him at, at Arsenal next season. I don't think that. Yeah, much. I don't no. I don't like the false hope that's giving. I saw that I saw that rumor, <laughs> and I immediately sh- showed it to a friend of mine that's who is Italian and watching many of these matches with me, who is a Spurs supporter, and it really got him riled up. <laughs> but but he and I both agreed that it wasn't very likely, you know. The fact sure. that get, getting used, getting used for Juve is, is all too familiar. So we expect that. Um, but let's let's move on to the other semifinal. So yesterday we saw we saw England come up against Denmark, who've been through you know been through everything this tournament, you know, with Ericsson and mm. everything else they've gone through, and having to come in and and fight together and and really put in a really put in a, a dedicated performance. You know, I think it, it's, it was fair to say that, you know, that they weren't initially one of the, anyone you would consider being a, a top contender for this tournament. Mm. But, you know, you look at most of the guys they have playing across the pitch, like losing, losing Erickson is a huge blow, but uh, Damsgaard's come in and really made a name for himself. Mm. You know, the yeah, yeah. man, that free kick he scored yesterday. I mean, uh, Pickford, Pickford's little baby arms are probably a bit of a bit problematic. Because <laughs> the, the goal was not far over into the corner, but Damsgaard put, you know, what what an amazing dip! What a, what a great strike! Well, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the dip you you mentioned because he, you know, Harry Kane is what six foot six foot one, and Kane jumped and it went over Kane and down underneath the crossbar. So, 
I think we have to sometimes we we immediately look to the goalkeeper and say, well, that was his mistake. But other times you've got to give the majority of the credit to the taker. And I think that's very much the case with that one. Absolutely. So, you know, they, they come out, they, they punch England in the mouth, you know, you ha- you're in the situation mm. now they have to, they have to turn around and do something. And, you know, for us, it was, it was great to be able to see Saka out there, you know, creating stuff, being a, being a source of, a source of ingenuity and, you know, driving the ball forward for England. Um, but I mean, on really England should have been on it a bit earlier. I, f- you know, I feel like they've, been coasting in, in certain parts of this tournament, but they've, you know, the movement of Sterling, the movement of Saka have been uh, decisive and, and important for this team. Uh, what, what have been your impressions of the England team in general? Look, they're really solid. They conceded their first goal of the tournament last night, which is yeah. ridiculous. You know, it yeah. absolutely is ridiculous. And it's where you draw the line personally on what's solid versus what's either brave or exciting or risky, you know, and England have built, England have got to the final on a, on a fairly solid um, foundation. Right. And I think that was the way he wanted to do it. And as the tournament has gone on, they've opened up a little bit. Obviously they scored four goals against Ukraine. Um, they scored a couple against Denmark, even if there was an element of good luck to both of those goals. But I don't think anyone could argue over the course of 120 minutes that England you know, in terms of possession, territory, chances created, et cetera, et cetera, were, were the the worst side. I don't think that's true at all. I think they were clearly the, the better team. So it just remains to be seen, you know, if that will work against Italy, who I think are probably best placed to... Um, like, I think England need moments of inspiration you know, from an attacking perspective, because they're not going to dominate Italy because they're going to play with their defense. They're going to have their two sitting midfielders. They've got some talent. There's no question about it. You know, I think Gareth Southgate's a, um, I'm not going to say he's a lucky man, but he is lucky in that he has got some really great players to choose from. And, you know, if he starts, for example, with with Saka and and Grealish, you know, he can then bring on Sancho or he can bring on Rashford, he can bring on Mount, he can bring on Foden, you know, there isn't a manager in this tournament that wouldn't love to have those options available to him. Yeah. But I do think it's built on, it's built on a foundation of solidity. Um, So I think they've been sensible. I think they've, had you know i think this is their plan or it has been their plan you know right and it, they've executed it pretty well and you know you've got to give them credit they're in the final of a year of a major competition for the first time since what 1966 so this is this is an england team that has been able to overcome the kind of uh how do i say this without um insulting any of our English uh, listeners here, but they've always managed to kind of fall at the second last hurdle, you know, teams that should have done better given the talent that they had have, have underperformed. And I think what Gareth Southgate has done is not that they've overperformed, but I think he's got pretty much what he should have got out of all these, uh, these players in his squad. Even if I do think, at times he is still just a little cautious, a little risk averse. And I think if you're going to win, 
a major tournament, at some point, you've got to take a risk. And I'm, yeah, I'll have to wait and see how the game pans out on Sunday to see if uh, to see if he does that. Yeah, the yeah. To be fair, the the sources, or well, not the sources, but the the resources available for him on the wing as who he can bring in to make changes to to affect the game. Or you're you're right. Every manager would 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 jump at the chance to have all those yeah. you know all those options available to them. Um, th- this team definitely feels like they play with. Like, like it feels like there's less ego in this team, even though I know there's plenty of, of big mm. ego guys in there, but you know, as opposed to the, you know, in the past of having, figuring out how to, how to play Lampard and Gerard together and, and all, and all this other shit that they dealt with, you know, you have, you know, you're starting Calvin Phillips from Leeds, you know, this is a guy that, you know, many people didn't know of much before. I mean, outside of England, mm. certainly before this past season for Leeds, you know, Declan Rice being your other, your other pivot in, in, in midfield is not, most people wouldn't have thought that that would be the case. There are people I knew that are, yeah. there's, you know, not, not completely casuals, but they were there at the pub with me yesterday. And like, who's this guy in midfield? And, it, and it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, rice plays for West Ham. And it's just from, from going from just being a, a team full of superstars that don't particularly know how to gel together and, and put it together. You, you have this collective unit that's out there. Uh, you know, really, really seems like playing together for each other, and and we all know, you know, the the collective sentiment of a team goes goes so far as you know, making a difference when it matters. Sure. Look, I think that's the one thing, not the one thing, but one of the things you really have to give Gareth Southgate a lot of credit for is that he has he's cultivated a, a team spirit and an atmosphere, and he's connected, you know, to the fans as well. Um, but you can see that these are players who who are playing for each other. They're playing for uh, the manager, the coach, whatever you want to call him, I think he's done a really good job of not simply managing the football team, but managing <clears throat> the squad of players that he has. You know, because there are way there are intangibles. You know, when it comes to tournament football and things like this, where where a bit of spirit, a bit of character can make a difference. Uh, and I think we saw that maybe in the Germany game where it was pretty even until, you know, England made a breakthrough yeah. and they, they just found that moment of quality. And after that, they, they went through and they deserved to go through. So I think Southgate's done a really good job, particularly as a lot of people had doubts about him before the tournament. I understand why, but I think he's answered those critics or those doubters and now it's down to them performing on Sunday. And, you know, what a, what a huge opportunity they have to, to win the tournament. You know, I, I make Italy very, very, very slight favorites, but England have the quality to win this, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I was one of those that's not, not necessarily a huge doubter of Southgate, but wasn't, wasn't certain that he was going to be able to make the tactical adjustments to, mm. to move forward in the way he has, you know, in the – you know, having the, you know, having the balls to drop Foden and decide to bring in Saka, you know, and, and change things around. And, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't made big changes, but little tweaks and, yeah. you know, and, and making the decisions when they need him, you know, and even when he pulled Saka and brought in Grealish and he creates the goal, you know, a couple matches back, you know, these, these things have worked for him and that, and it's paid off and it's been great. <laughs> we had a, we had a really hilarious time at the pub yesterday because, I was at the red line in, in Silver Lake, and we had with tons of England fans all around. And as soon as as soon as your boy Jack Grealish came on, this guy absolutely fucking lost it. 
<laughs> Any time he got on the ball, it was just screaming, Grealish, Grealish. And, you know, and the, you know, once I think Harry, I think Harry Kane stole a ball that was going to him. And I, oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, I thought he was going to lose his absolute shit. I think actually, if he had scored that goal, he might have actually made a mess of himself. Just exploded, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. he was going to explode, and I was just like, we need, we need a flak blanket. I need an umbrella or something over here. <laughs> he's about five or six yards behind me, but I, I'm, I'm afraid about how far he's going to spray. But. <laughs> but there's an image but, but it was you know it was great you know and being amongst all the all the fans you know the the, the genuine joy that it gives so many people you know and and f- and for us you know we're, we're lucky enough here that the majority of us here especially in los angeles are, are fully vaccinated mm. so we're actually getting out and enjoying these amongst people and people are jumping up and they're hugging and they're you know they're getting the full experience that's been missing for so long that yeah, yeah. The, the joy was really genuine and something really fun to to watch and experience um, well, I, I know you said you, you would put Italy as, as slight favorites here, but we always make predictions on the, the red card district. Mm. G- give me your, give me your prediction for the final. Who comes out with it? Italy win it in extra time. All right. I don't know the score. Three, two, maybe three, two. I like, I like three, the sound two. Of that. Yeah. I like that, the sound that, that would be a good game. Wouldn't it? If Let's it was see. a three, two extra time win for Italy, Fucking sign I think me that up. we could say, yeah, we could, we yeah, could that, all that, enjoy that. That is a spectacle we can all get behind. I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with two on Italy in regular time. Okay, it's, okay. Uh, you know, I, I, as as good as England are, I think if England win, they'll be deserved champions and it'll be a great team that's got, you know, that's put it all together. But it, you know, seeing what Italy have done, it feels like they're living a charmed life and 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 they're gonna get it. And I, I kind of think, you know, being able to. Like, I don't think they're going to be as uh, <clears throat> under the cosh or as do as bad with possession as they did against Spain. But, you know, setting up to hit him on the break uh, really suits mm. Italy. And they have, like you said, they have these intangibles. And it, it is going to – I really do believe it's going to come down to a moment of magic, you know, whether it's it's a Chiesa or if Locatelli comes on late and it's a bombing run and something that happens there. You know, I, I, I really do think this is an absolutely – you know, for, for, for us as neutrals, for anyone as football fans, being able to see this final is, is going to be a good combination of two styles and two teams that have been very dynamic and um, should make for a thrilling watch. Hope so. I hope so. And then we can take a little break from football and get ready for a, a brand new season. Yeah. Yep. Take, a, take about a week off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> uh, so one last quick thing before we go. We have, sure. uh, we are, there is another tournament going on simultaneously with the euros i know you're not able to yeah. watch too much of it due to it being in a terrible time zone for you with uh, the copa america in, in south america in brazil but what we do have this weekend on saturday is a final between neymar's brazil and messi's argentina yeah um, that I, i'm i'm quite looking forward to that final as well just you know that the tournament as a whole has been pretty exciting but the the quality of football hasn't been as great but but what we've seen from them I've seen a little bit of uh, drive and fire and some things that I haven't seen from Messi before or, or as often mm. on the international stage. Um, I know I, I mentioned to you the other day where we there was the, the penalty kicks against Colombia the other night yeah. for Argentina and our, and our, our alumni, Emmy Martinez, you know, talking all this shit to Yerry, to Yerry Mina, 
you know, just absolutely getting into their heads as, as a real bastard. I, I loved seeing that. I loved, I loved, you know, seeing, you know, they had, they had the isolated camera on Messi and him saying, Ayla, yeah. Ayla, Ayla, you know, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the fire that. in it for him, you know, after these guys <laughs> kicking around the pitch, you know, the stats were, you know, I think Colombia earned six yellow cards in that match and they were all for fouls on Messi, you know? So they had a very oh, clear wow. agenda of what they wanted to do. You see Messi's ankle all bloody through the sock, you know, from the amount of time yeah. he's been stamped on. Um, it's going to, it's going to make a, a real spectacle. You have any, um, any particular leaning one way or the other for that final? I probably, you know, based on my, my, um, how I view the individual players, uh, I would, I would like to see Messi triumph over Neymar. Uh, I just, I think Messi is an extraordinary player. Um, who probably hasn't achieved as much at international level as, you know, maybe he should. Uh, and that's not his fault, of course. You know, it's it's to do with, um, you know, the team that he's playing with. <laughs> but, you know, he he is, he's just an amazing player. And Neymar, he does my head in, I think. Uh, I, I acknowledge his quality. He's a brilliant footballer as well. But... Uh, if you ask me to choose between Messi and Neymar in a game of football, a game of golf, a game of cage fighting, a game of chainsaws while on PCP, it would always be Lionel Messi. And I think the Ami Martinez thing uh, is another little string in Argentina's bow. So, um, yeah, Argentina, that one for me. I would like to see that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think currently right now with the way that I've seen them play, the the big difference of um, what I've seen is a little bit more dynamism through the midfield. Uh, mm. Paredes has been pretty good for, for, for Argentina in this tournament and also Messi's strike partner, you know, Messi had another assist. I think he tied the record for most assists in the, in the Copa America with his assist for Lautaro Martinez, mm. who's been in great form playing alongside Lukaku all turn all, all season at Inter. And then, you know, Messi's been cursed with having Sergio fucking Romero as his goalkeeper for the past decade <laughs> while he's, you know, second choice at, at Manchester United. Like, what a fucking joke, you know? You're going to recall a 40-something-year-old Willie Caballero to be goalkeeper because Romero's that bad. So mm. the solidity there, you know, they are, they're playing in Brazil. You know, it's hard to argue with the talent that they have on display. But I, too, you know, listen, Neymar was supposed to be the best player in the world and taken over for, for Messi and Ronaldo five or six years ago, according to most people, a decade ago. And that shit's yeah. never happened, you know. No. He's not even the best player on his own team. So I mean, cl club team with with Mbappe. So, oh sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and that that's something you know. Petty as I am, I thoroughly enjoy that. You know, when he's supposed to be the best yeah, guy yeah. and he can't even be the best guy on his team. So yeah, I mean, I want to see it. You know, I don't have any skin in that game either, as far as who I who I care for. But yeah, I'm not <laughs> I'm not on Team Neymar as much as I love my Brazilian friends and and love watching mm -hmm. them play in general. I I think. I think the the stars have aligned enough to where now they have a solid foundation, um, you know, a little a little more steel in midfield and and a good strike partner for Messi. And I think I think maybe they, they make this happen. All right. Well, look, good luck, Messi, and good luck, Emmy Martinez. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. You can you can catch Andrew on the Arscast Extra every Monday and the Arscast on Fridays. Uh, it's been a pleasure to chat. Looking forward to the two finals this weekend. And yeah, man, thoroughly excited. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, man. Take it easy and we'll see you soon, hopefully. Yes, sir.